We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. I'm my game ball with Josh Allen, who's had to sit around at home and listen to us hype a kicker, uh, a Jaguars <laughs> kick returner who lost the game, by the way. And Josh Allen's like, I had 358 and five, you dummies, against this incredible Washington defense that's got this amazing pass rush and all these first round picks. Josh Allen looked like the kid who should be moved up from junior varsity to varsity in this game. Oh, we got to move him up. He doesn't belong on the field with them. It's his best game of the season. You've been waiting for the Josh Allen game this season. This was a Josh Allen game. The Bills are fully hit their stride. They are a juggernaut, and that guy is one of the best five players in the league. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I am your host, Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Kyle Brandt from Good Morning Football on NFL Network talking about our guy, Josh Allen. The, wait, whoa, whoa, what, frauds? Uh, flash in the pan, fluke, all of the things. Give me all of the buzzwords that some of you had for our quarterback. Let me hear them now. We can all throw them on the pyre that is what that football game did to. Oh, Chris, how good does it feel to be sitting here talking about this today? Went completely opposite of how I envisioned it to go down. Really? Well, I talked I talk, last week. I talked about oh, like at least for betting, all oh, the under might be the play. <laughs> hey, do you have any bad beats this weekend? Uh, no, not really. Nothing bad. Nothing bad. You just got beat. Yeah. It, <laughs> it wasn't anything as bad as as last season. Well, I'll tell you what. Nobody got beat worse than the Washington football team. See, I got that right this time. Yeah, because you slowed it down. (laughs) In our week three recap, join us as we dive into all of the gory details. The Buffalo Bills 43, the Washington football team 21. Stats of the game, Taylor Heineke, 12 of 24, 50%, 212 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, an 80.6 rating. Josh Allen, 32 of 43, 74%, 358 yards, four touchdowns, zero turnovers for the first time all season, and a 129.8 rating. Passes of 10 or more yards, Heineke, two of six and one pick. Josh Allen, 12 of 17, three touchdowns. Running back Antonio Gibson, 104 total yards, one touchdown, 20 yards after contact. With the touchdown pass, he averaged 8 yards per touch. Without it, 2.58. 
yards per touch of the football. Running back Zach Moss, 91 total yards, one touchdown, 18 yards after contact, (laughs) 13 attempts for 60 yards, 4.6 yards per carry. Bills, five players with 60 or more receiving yards or a touchdown. Dawson Knox, four or five, 49 yards, three first downs and one touchdown. Cody Ford, 12 pressures, no other offensive lineman let up more than four. Ten hurries, two hits, a 3.1 pass blocking grade. Washington football team linebackers, 11 catches allowed on 12 targets, two touchdowns allowed in coverage, and 141 total yards. Chris, what was your Sunday like watching this game? I think I got to watch the first two drives. Okay. And I the one the one thing that like real really bothered me was that fucking kickoff. <laughs> like how do you because I remember how militant you got way back when we in the Anthony Lynn, hey, I'm gonna run the Jets because we just let Rex Ryan go. The Bills gave up a kick return that laid in the end zone and nobody touched it and they picked it up for a touchdown. And it burned you alive. Like you, I've never seen you as incensed over a singular play as that. And so when that happened right in front of us, the ball falls, it bounces, and and nobody's touching it. And then the, oh, I almost said it, the Washington football team picks it up Hopkins, Hopkins recovered it. There's so many people in the stands who are confused, and I go, guys, this isn't a goddamn punt. It's not a goddamn punt. That's a live football. No, well, what happened was McKenzie was running up to it, and then I think he got hesitant because, well, if I'm running full speed and there's somebody blocking five yards in front of me and I catch it and then I run into the back of my own player, I have a chance to fumble it. So, oh, let me let it bounce, and then I'll catch it only – it bounces backwards. So yeah. I think either way he was shit out of luck because I don't think him running up there, he had enough time to get up there, run, kind of slow down and catch the like fair catch it. He, I'm sure he thought he would have ran into the, the wish, back of his own player. I wish I could have seen your face when that happened. I walked out of our break room, hopped on the truck and drove away. <laughs> Did you do the the angry drive away? Like when you're peeling out of a girl, ex-girlfriend's driveway? Like... Yeah, well, it's like a it's a it's like a three wheel truck, so it can do like a hundred and eighty degree turn. So it, did you whip it? Yeah, with authority. Yeah, because <laughs> I think it was I think it was what twenty one twenty one seven at that point. Oh no, that made it again. That that botch closed the gap. Well, that, that, it it you thought it was a you game. Thought, well, you, at that moment, no, you, no. But in that moment, a pessimist Bills fan would go. Well, we left the door open. That would be you. Well, this weekend changed a lot of things, Chris. We're going to talk about all that because my game day experience was so much different than yours. And these are the days that I genuinely wish you could be there for them. And I'm not trying to rub it in as I talk about it, but maybe I'm going to. I don't know. This might have been. Okay, first of all, football weather. It's about 50-ish degrees in the morning, high as 60s, sunny for the game. Everything went smoothly for the first time in a long time. From the drive-in to the drive-out. Shout-out to Iman, who showed up to have a beer with me and literally teach me how to smoke and grill perfect wings on a charcoal grill. Absolute game-changer. Something I'm going to be doing more frequently going forward because they're clearly a crowd-pleaser. What was the difference? Dude, he shows up and he's brought his own nitrile gloves. That's how you know a man is serious about barbecue is when he has his own gloves because he's worried I won't have them. And I was like, you do know that I'm not a hack when it comes to grilling and barbecue. You look like a hack. Well, yeah. You look at me and you go, this guy. So he brings a, a spray can of duck fat. And I was like, where the fuck do you even get duck fat in a can? And he was like, yeah, no, this is a must have. Sprays the wings down as a binder for the rub. Then we rub them, we toss them, whatever. Then we throw them on the grill. He goes, okay, you put your drums closer to the fire. You put these over towards the side. Now we're going to get some smoke rolling. Now we're going to put the wings in there once the smoke's rolling. 
And then he goes, here's the, here's the key. You cook them to 175. Then you pull them, you sauce them, and you put them back on to 200 degrees internal temperature. And I go, holy shit, you're a madman. That's chicken. That's chicken. You'll dry this. Have you ever had dry chicken breast? Mm-hmm. Dry chicken might be the worst thing you've ever tasted. It's like sawdust. Sawdust wrapped in skin. Chris, these things went faster than I could pull them off the grill. Somebody tried one and went, ah. Oh. And then he goes, if you want a little extra crunchiness, you just throw a little cornstarch in there with the rub. Dude, it blew my mind that me, this is how good of a teacher he was. And he runs Q42, guys. So if any of you, I, I'm, I'm not just... Yeah, this is a shameless plug for his barbecues, his sauces, and his rubs. He has a Carolina one that's incredible. He has a, just a standard Kansas City-style barbecue, but it's thinner than your average Kansas City-style. So it's a little sweet, but it still goes on like a glaze on things like wings. So when you grill them, they come out with the perfect color, the perfect consistency. Everything caramelizes properly. Chris, I literally didn't get to eat one because they went so fast. Did he give you a bottle of his sauces? Oh, he did. And he'll be back at our tailgate this weekend to help me do some more barbecue shit at our tailgate. So if any of you guys out there listening to this want to stop by the Rock Power Report tailgate and have some great food, come check it out. Amon has outdone himself. But he literally took... Chris, it was like if someone could just show up in a room for 10 minutes and teach you how to play guitar. That's literally what just happened. It blew my mind. Shout out to him. But from friends, from the softball team, to Tyrone Billiams, and uh, my buddy Steve with the terrible 70s baseball player mustache. In fact, it's not even baseball player mustache. It's a goatee. Picture Scott Steiner. Yeah, this is a goatee. The dog-faced gremlin? Or, no, that's Rick Steiner. Rick Steiner. Picture that mustache that he had. Got it. On a dude who's five foot six and 165 pounds. <laughs> but all 10 pounds of that mustache. Was he wearing a leather jacket? <laughs> no, he was wearing a trucker cap and a t-shirt and faded jeans with some sneakers. And it was hysterical. What kind of trucker? Was it a red dog? A red dog beer. Red dog beer? should have. I know his family. His, his father would probably not turn down a red dog. And I think in his heart, Steve knows he wouldn't either. Like, in that scenario, he'd take a red dog. Everyone he brought to the game, everyone we all brought, well, here's the worst part. The whole carload of guys he showed up with were all rocking terrible facial hair. Like, their weird attempts at must, baseball mustaches. I don't know if it was a thing. Any of them have a soul patch? No, thank God, or else I would have fought him at the drop of a hat, because there are no Fred Durst's allowed at my tailgate. But the crowd was fantastic. Remember week one when I complained about the lack of camaraderie? And about how that loss, like, turned us all... Like, it turned that day into something it didn't need to be. Yeah. It was all back. I mean, first of all, there's a... F directly in front of us, a kid and his, like, seven or eight-year-old son, both Washington fans, he, he told us later in the game, they drove seven hours through the night to come to this game. And throughout the course of the game, we're joking with them, we're talking to the kid, we're joking with him. He had a great day, even though it didn't go well for his team. Because everyone in the stands were just having a good time. And we were all like in the mood to get along with each other and everybody else. There's also the Washington fan behind me. I saw that on Facebook. Yeah, you did. No, you didn't even get to see the other side of his face. Folks, if I could describe this to you, the man who was sitting behind me, Washington fan, six foot three, six foot four, probably runs about 285 pounds. The whole arms, he has like sleeve tattoos going all the way up from the wrist. Neck tattoos. Neck tattoos. Face tattoos over both eyebrows. And some of them, because I'm a person who watches shows like Gangland or you know, Drugs, Inc. on National Geographic. Like, I recognize very clearly some of the tattoos on his face were like gang affiliated. And everyone in the section's buttholes puckered a little bit when this dude came walking down the thing. And then... When the team went down hard mm -hmm. in the third quarter, people got real tense because he's rocking back and forth and he's cussing under his breath, but he's not yelling. He's not being loud. So I started talking to him. Was he there by himself? No, he was with his kid who's wearing a Bills jersey and his wife. 
And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to talk to this guy because guess what? First of all, if I'm in a scenario, if I'm in a scenario where something might go sideways, that's the guy I want on my side. But also, everyone's looking at this guy going, oh, my God, he's scared. No, that's just a dude enjoying football. I, if I went to the game, I would have said something to him immediately when I got to the seats. Like, I will not like I will not say anything. Please don't fight me. No. We had a great time. He and I, he's a cool, great dude. We ended up bonding over the fact that he doesn't think Taylor Heineke's that good. And the fact that he hates the Kansas City Chiefs. So, so then, when the stadium lets out, everyone else is walking to the car. Me and this guy, he kept his wife and kid, which I almost feel bad about, because his phone got more bars than mine. So he was streaming the end of the Kansas City Chargers game on his phone so that I could watch it with him and we could both celebrate the demise of the Kansas City Chiefs. The camaraderie in that stadium was gone, that home opener. And this game just brought it back. And then I get home, had a leftover meatball subs from the tailgate and some taco dip. And I told my wife, I go, listen, I'll just eat this and I'll make something for Jack so you don't have to do anything because you've been watching him all day. Because apparently my kid was glued to the game. And now that he knows when to cheer and when to clap and he's got an idea of what's going on, he kept her busy all day. So I figured the least I could do was to make life simple for everybody. Plus, I'm a low maintenance guy, Chris. I, I'm trash. I mean, like, like you are there, trash. There's a podcast out there called "You Are Garbage." Uh, are you garbage? And they ask these celebrities questions and they try to identify who's garbage and who's not. I don't even need to go on there as a guest. I already know where I rank. But my so I'm sitting on the couch, shirtless, with a meatball hoagie, and my wife, uh, my wife's laughing, and my son sees me with it and walks over with his hand up, like you know, he does when he wants a Jimmy. <laughs> And I'm just like, my wife's yelling at me, but I hand him the whole sandwich. So I'm like, all right, tough guy. He takes a bite out of it. And then he gives it back to me. And he's just beaming. He's so happy that I trusted him with a whole sandwich. So then my wife tries giving him a piece of meatball, and he flat out refuses to eat it. And so for the rest of the night, it was just me and him sitting there trading a sandwich back and forth by hand. Each taking bites out of it. That is one of the most welfare stories I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't know that I've had a more perfect day from start to finish watching Buffalo Bills football than this Sunday. It was a miserable day for everybody associated with that football team. If I had to break it down for you, the lay football fan here, the structure of their offense was predicated on a ton of short throws that they were hoping could generate yards after the catch. Well, it did once. <laughs> Rather than testing our safeties deep, and the results ended up as bad as you could expect. They, I think Heineke really struggled throwing the ball deep with any kind of consistency, as the numbers would indicate, which served to shrink the box. I mean, we saw that happen to Fitzpatrick. When Fitzpatrick was here as our quarterback... Teams eventually figured out, oh, he can't air it out. All right, then let's drop the safeties into traffic. Chris, both of our safeties ended up with interceptions. Why? Because they weren't scared. And they're good. That makes what was already a difficult task to operate a passing offense even harder for them. Potter literally called the second Heineke interception pre-snap because it was, as we're looking down at the field, it's in our on our half of the field, they're backed up in the shade of their own goalposts, goal facing third and 13. And he goes, well, and he pointed out the fact, and this is why I love Potter. He goes, look at Hyde creeping. Safety's creeping. Meanwhile, Milano is in the A-gap, but he's he's kind of, it's like you, when, when you sit where we sit, you get the all-22 view. And you're watching Milano, and you're like, he doesn't look like he's committed to this pass rush. He's going to drop, and Milano's going to crash. And that window that Heineke thinks he's throwing into is about to slam shut way faster than he expects. <laughs> and he just yelled out, it's about to be pick city. On cue, Heineke, once again, which was a the theme of the game, forced to vacate a, a pocket. <laughs> Even if the sacks didn't materialize, they the pressure forced him to move off his spot, which we figured would happen when we talked about this matchup last week. He zips a pass to a guy who's literally bracketed by not one, but three 
one, not two, three Bills defenders. Edmonds, White, and Hyde. <laughs> That's exactly how it ends up. And I mean, I don't even know that I blame Heineke so much, but the game plan that they installed, combined with the fact that for being good pass blockers and for keeping him upright, their offensive line still allowed a lot of untimely pressure, both real and simulated, that left Heineke throwing on the move and vacating the pocket pretty frequently. And that sucks for him because we only blitzed four times in the game despite showing it pretty often. Now he's just on the run trying to ID targets into coverage and all he's finding is blue jerseys. Throw in some untimely turnovers like that Logan Thomas fumble. Chris, tell me that wasn't perfect. I saw that punch. I remember when when Trey White was a rookie, they brought in Peanut Tillman. And they were like, Peanut Tillman is coaching up our DBs. Not a punch. Do you remember how many fumbles our DBs forced that year? Between Hyde, Poyer, White... Well, they're the only ones who are still here, and they clearly still remember those lessons because that looked like all day long from the back as I'm watching it go down the field. Oh, okay, fuck, he's fighting for yards, he's fighting for yards, and then all of a sudden everyone's cheering and they're talking about a fumble recovery, and I was like, wait, what? And so I'm watching it on the scoreboard. He was so close to being down, but Trey White timed it perfectly. Punches that shit out of there. <laughs> There's nothing that Taylor Heineke can do about that. And next thing you know, you're facing an you're you're behind and you're facing an offense that has the weapons to turn this thing into a track meet. That was it. You just broke Heineke. I feel like some drunk jerk on this podcast last week said our linebackers we need to play more coverage instead of rushing. Right? Pretty sure you said that. Yeah. Who? I can't, beer. It's a hell of a thing. I can't remember who might have been forecasting that. Buffalo Bills football is finally back, and there's. There's no need for you guys to exhaust yourselves searching all over the internet trying to find Bills tickets anymore. Because TickPick, T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site. And it's the last one you're ever going to need for all your NFL tickets. They got rid of all the service fees that these other websites are charging you, which lets them guarantee the best prices of all NFL tickets. And if you don't believe it, you don't have to trust me. If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick.com will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. You can't lose. Visit TickPick.com slash RockPile and use the promo code RockPile to save $10 on your first order of Bill's tickets today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. God, that's refreshing. Now, just a moment ago, you heard me rattle off some running back stats. And the reason I included those is because everybody likes to talk up Antonio Gibson. And I'm not going to try to throw shade. He, Washington has a solid run and pass blocking offensive line. And Gibson is an athletic back with a lot of receiving chops who runs pretty well between both the tackles and off-tackle. It was a great situation preseason, and I can see why everyone's high on him. In this game, aside from one broken play, to your point, the screen game worked once. Once. He gets loose for a 70-something yard touchdown. The Bills did a phenomenal job of neutralizing Gibson. A lot of that was thanks to the big OBs on the defensive line. As the only Washington offensive lineman to finish with a positive run-blocking grade, 
Eric Flowers and Leno, a pair of veteran players in their own right. Everybody else had a had a rough day. You went up against our defensive tackle. I mean, that's essentially their left guard and their left tackle. Everybody from the right, from the center to the right, they had a shit afternoon. Now that that gives credit to the job that our interior of our defense is doing this year. How much of that do you credit Star Latulule with? Because what's the common denominator? I've seen a ton of Vernon Butler's not not here. I don't even think he's active on game days. Uh, Harrison Phillips isn't involved. It's Zimmer. You see a lot of it, Oliver. And you see Star, and all of a sudden our run defense looks like a completely different animal. Well, I've seen a handful of screen grabs from the first couple of games, and you see Star, and he's being double teamed, sometimes triple teamed. So all those one on ones you get, yeah, (laughs) yeah, you see all those one on ones everywhere else, and we're winning those one on ones. It's it's incredible, and. The results of running back who everyone's talking about that if you're a fantasy football nut, everyone talking about Antonio Gibson is like one of the sleepers in this year's fantasy football draft. Oh, you take him, but he's going to produce star results for you. You could take him in the third round, and it's a steal. He was outperformed by Zach Moss behind a much less efficient and much much less touted offensive line. And then... I want to look at Ron Rivera, who I kind of shoulder a lot of this on. He claimed that in the middle of the game, sideline reporters, as I'm going back and I'm watching the replay, they said that he felt his defense was giving too much respect to Allen's rushing abilities and was forgetting to stay at home and play passing defense. Chris, this is a game against a quarterback that you literally watched almost win an MVP last year for passing the football. So with that in mind... Doesn't that dynamic from a game planning standpoint, I don't give a shit that Daniel Jones, you know, Daniel Baby Hands Jones just carved you up for 95 yards and a touchdown. I don't give a shit that that just happened to you. If you think you're a good coach and you think your staff is a good staff, doesn't this seem like a wild oversight that he can come out and go, yeah, you know, maybe we gave his legs too much credit. We didn't pay enough attention to his arm. What? You did what? The dude who's capable of uncorking a 75-yarder on a rope. That guy? You gave too much credit to his legs? Yeah, doesn't Rivera blitz a lot? I mean, it's it's awful. And all this talk from Rivera about players freelancing and the defense not playing like a unit. He's he's throwing and casting a lot of aspersions when maybe he bears some of the blame for for a lot of this. If he's allowing his football team to go into a game like this with that mentality. I mean, the fact is, with poor coverage linebackers, they're still in love with this concept of only rushing four. And the results when that doesn't work is disaster. Allen was pressured on 22 of his dropbacks, but it resulted in zero sacks and a 65% completion percentage and three of his touchdown throws. Throw in some of the blitzes they threw... I mean, when they blitzed, Allen was 6 of 7 with an 85% completion percentage for 74 yards. Fuck you, you don't know how to run a defense. Isn't that what, when you hear those numbers, isn't that the only thing you can feel, right? Yeah. That tells me you maybe don't have a handle on this. They clearly have an idea of what they want to be on defense, and that'll get you by the, the Daniel Joneses of the world. But against the NFL's upper echelon quarterback talents or teams with more than, I don't know, two receiving weapons at their disposal, it'll get you destroyed. And that's what happened to the Washington football team. That's it. I mean, that struggling pass rush of theirs, remember when we talked about it and we said the the weak link was the linebackers? I wasn't bullshitting you guys, and we saw the Bills victimize those bastards multiple phases of the game. Just from the stats at the top of the show, we game plan for their inability to stop that. Think about this. 25% of all Josh Allen's throws went directly at those two players. <laughs> hey, fuck you, fuck you. I know you suck, and I'm going to take advantage of it. And they gave up some of the biggest plays. It wasn't just yardage or, t- yardage or touchdowns either. In what I'm now referring to is the Cole Beasley drive, Chris. Okay? Cole Beasley was able to exploit the holes in their zone coverage 
whenever we needed to move the sticks. Beasley didn't have a giant stat line, but he had five first downs on the day. And when I, I'm standing in the stands and we're watching this touchdown drive go, and I go, this is going to be known as the Beasley drive because this is taking forever. And every time they need one, three first downs in the run-up to that second Emmanuel Sanders touchdown to the third quarter. It was easy pitch and catch. Just, hey, you're going to give me six, and then two yards after the catch. But that's all I need. You know, he had his uh, 11 catches on 13 targets. That was like at the beginning of the third quarter. Yes. It's, he had all of, like, I texted my dad. My dad's a huge Cole Beasley fan. I'm, I'm like, we're halfway through the third quarter, and Cole Beasley already has 11 catches. The Bills' offense was balanced, as evidenced by the number of players who had solid performances, and it was just too much for an outgunned Washington defense to contend with. I credit our coaching staff for the film study and the game plan, and I think it's just a further illustration of how much farther ahead we are of the curve as a franchise than so many of these other teams that are trying to find their way behind young quarterbacks, and it sucks for them because we face a lot of them this year. A lot of them! Well, this this moves McDermott to eight and one against quarterbacks with less than a. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Somebody I don't want to get lost in the wash, Dawson Knox. This offseason, all of you mother, you all love this idea of Zach Ertz. <laughs> Everybody wanted it. Bills fans around the world talked about how the Bills should do whatever it takes to get Zach Ertz because we need to get production out of the tight end position. There was some real frustration around the fan base when that didn't happen. And then when the Bills made moves, like cutting, uh, what's his face? The dude they picked up from Wyoming, Jake Hollister. Yes. When they picked him up and then cut him, it was pretty clear that Dawson Knox was the de facto number one. There was a lot of frustration expected expressed by some of the more hyperbolic members of our fan base, most of whom had the ad- this attitude that you absolutely have to do better than Knox. But Bean stood his ground, and now here we are. With his performance on Sunday, Knox isn't getting a lot of love from the content creator community, or the national media, or the local media, but he's making Bean look like even more of a baller than we currently give, currently give him credit for. Right now, 10 of 12, 107 yards and two touchdowns through three games is the best start to his career through three games thus far. Ertz has four targets, three receptions for 40 yards and no touchdowns. Knox finished 2021 with 14 first down receptions. He already has seven through three games and he has zero dropped passes. I want to reiterate that. Zero dropped passes. Has he been perfect? No. I mean, he had a ball that if he had let it go would have just fallen to the turf because it was a little bit late of a throw by Josh and it was a little behind this week. But because he tried to make a play on it and then got hit by the linebacker while he was doing it, the ball popped up and was almost intercepted. A pick on our side of the field in a moment where it was only a seven-point game late in the second second quarter, that could have changed the complexion of the entire game. But it didn't. I mean, situational awareness and maybe some softer hands might help the guy. But it wasn't a drop, and it didn't end up in enemy hands, and it was the result of a play by the defender rather than him doing anything wrong. I mean, I can't blame the guy for trying to make something happen on a day when pretty much everything else the team was doing was working. And on that touchdown catch that he had, Chris, we were laughing in the stands because I don't know that I've seen a more egregious push-off. I, I was like, oh, well, I, I said to the tattooed-faced Redskins guy behind me, you know, for those of you who want to see it, I'll tweet it out, at Rock Power Report. Make sure you're following us. I will tweet out a picture of that guy and his face tattoo so you can get an idea of who I'm talking about. He's a scary motherfucker. See, now I dropped the MF. I didn't say it earlier when I was angry. Now I said it about a guy I actually liked. Weird how that works, right? Yeah, because you were genuinely afraid of him. I I don't know what afraid, but it was one of those guys who was like, well, if I'm in a fight, 
I'd rather have him on my side than against me, so let's make friends. But either way, I'm, I, I turned around to him and I go, well, clearly that's coming back. And he laughed and we high-fived over it. And then they just didn't throw the flag. Chris, from the opposite end of the field, I could tell it was offensive pass interference. But in the immortal words of Richard Petty, if you ain't rubbing, you ain't racing. And I guess that applies to the Buffalo Bills. He he did what he had to do to get open, and then that was still a phenomenal catch to get his knees inbounds while he was going down, catching the ball. I mean, you've seen the highlight. What did yeah, you think it might have been the best touchdown catch that uh, Dawson Knox has ever had. Thank you. The reality is he's everything that you could have asked for out of a tight end one in an in a, in attack that's wide receiver driven. His run blocking is still kind of getting to form, but he's already the best version of himself we've ever seen. And Sunday was just more evidence that we're watching Knox grow the same way our GM and head coach was hoping that he would. I mean, this thing was a romp from start to finish, so there's a million things I could talk about. But I just want to dive right into this. Our hero of the game, quarterback Josh Allen. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. Josh Allen's the dude who got the distress call, but it didn't come from the commissioner, it came from the fan base. The fan base yelling, Josh, we need to be better. Josh, we need you. Josh, we need you. And he came in like like Superman on Sunday. The last few weeks have been hard on Allen. From the media to the fan base. To Nick Wright. <laughs> no, well, did, did, two can't say him? Yeah. Do you have that audio? Not on the, not on the tablet ready to go. Oh, Sorry. God. Folks, Nick Wright putting the bills on upset alert. Go back and listen to it. I'm sure it's been, it's on Twitter, it's on YouTube, it's everywhere. Go find it. It's laughable now in retrospect. But that's it. That was the energy that was out there. The rumbling started. Does Allen still have it? Was last year a fluke? What if he and Dable got figured out like the 2019 Rams and their production was too based on scheme rather than out and out talent? Would you agree with me that this game probably does a lot to shut people the hell up? Yeah, and it's not like they played a cupcake defense. I mean, that last week we discussed the Washington defensive line. You get all first-round picks on there, and our offensive line to this point has been kind of suspect. So you would think that, oh, Washington has a real shot to win in the trenches, and Josh Allen just carves them up. I expected them to give us more trouble in the trenches. Yes, and I expected this to be a much harder day for Josh Allen. The crazy thing about Allen's game was that for the first time in three contests, he finally found his efficiency. And if you don't believe me, look no further than these two examples. Okay, I've got two for you. That what we saw last year has been there all along, and it's something even better than 2020 Josh Allen might be hiding just under the surface. Follow me here. Before halftime, the Bills get the ball back, leading by 10 points. It's not a bad margin. Chris, how many teams? I mean, we watched the Cowboys do it last night. Yeah. Bags. A lot of teams would be happy to take 10 points into the locker room. The Bills get the ball back with less than 30 seconds left. But instead of kneeling it out, Allen and Dable are aggressive and yet controlled in the aggression. Rather than airing it out with the Washington defense in this prevent defense waiting for Allen because they say, okay, he's got a giant arm. He's going to try to take a shot down the field. He uses screen passes to Stephon Diggs to generate 23 yards and manage the clock in the process. And then in between those, he throws a 22-yard shot to Beasley. All of a sudden, they're putting another three on the board and making it a two-score game before halftime, literally out of nowhere. Literally extending it to almost a two-touchdown lead based on nothing but poise, patience, and execution. Take the small stuff. Let them worry about how they're going to stop it. Hasn't that been the thing that everyone's preaching? Yeah. Take the small stuff. Why isn't Josh... I mean, Eric Turner over at Cover One has done a great breakdown of that. Over the last two weeks, how Allen was bypassing safe throws that could have generated positive yards... 
And instead, he was trying to make those big plays against two secondaries that, not for nothing, are very familiar with Josh and have some talent. So with that in mind, we go up against this team that doesn't know us, that isn't that familiar, and instead of just peeling off and trying to cannon it down the field, Josh takes what, he, takes what he's given. I was impressed. And then the thing that really put an exclamation point on it for me, the fact that he put on what might be the most unsexy scoring drive ever to open the third quarter. Chris, the Beasley drive. Washington goes three and out to open the second half. They punt the Bills back to their own seven and are all right. I mean, you watch the way that they were lining up. They're trying to create pressure and force a negative play to try to flip field position because at that point in the game, okay, we're down by 13. We need a score. We need to start taking some chances on defense. We need to start taking liberties, sending extra rushers, maybe doing some, because we have them backed up in the shadow of their own goalposts. Allen proceeds to put on a drive that's unlike almost every drive I've seen from the kid. Because it was really fucking boring. No heroics, no greedy pass up the seam into coverage because he thinks he can thread the needle. No, I'm going to scramble around holding the ball like a loaf of bread until somebody gets open. Here's the numbers, Chris. They came from Aaron Quinn over at Cover One. He tweeted it out and it blew my mind. 18 plays, 93 yards, but not a single gain of more than 13 yards on any individual play. Eight and a half, well, eight eight minutes and 17 seconds of clock and a Sanders touchdown. And then what did I tell Aaron Quinn? Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. Drives, drives like that are the kind that gets a content creator to buy another content creator a steak dinner? Yeah. That's the type of shit that ends up with me spending hundreds of dollars in a steakhouse. <laughs> but whatever. Hey, in that instance, we won the playoff game. Chris, I lost, but I won. If I had told you before that game that it would cost you $500 to see a playoff win, would you do it? Maybe. I'd write that check without a second thought. If I could go and it was at home. Yeah. In a non-pandemic. To see a playoff win on TV, it was worth every penny. But that was the most impressive thing. Not a single play of more than 13 yards. And in terms of toxic differential, not a single play that you could call explosive or toxic. Literally, just this slow, methodical, time-sucking death march down the field that ate up more than half of the quarter and ultimately was the backbreaker. That's the thing that blew the game wide open. Last season, Allen showed us that he's more than capable of putting points on the board. But there were times when pressure, not physical pressure, but perceived pressure in terms of what was being applied by our opponent, the pressure he puts on himself to try to earn what he thinks he's been given, all of this stuff would make Allen revert back to playing hero ball and trying to win the whole game on every single throw. He started in that place to begin the season, and it showed his numbers. His teams were ready for that, and two of them had the horses on defense to actually do something about it. This weekend, he proved that he's not only still got his mojo, but that he's also learned something that all of the great quarterbacks. Think about this, Chris. The killers. Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady. The things that make them feel as elite. The Peyton Mannings of the world. The way you think about them is this Thanos-like inevitability to how they can orchestrate their offense and put points on the board if you make them do it. If you give them the time and you give them the space, or if you don't give them the time, if you give them less than 30 seconds to go down the field and kick a field goal, Josh Allen just showed he can do it. That's the kind of thing that breaks the spirit of an opposing defense. It frustrates even the best defensive coordinators. It makes a decent team good, a great team damn near unbeatable. To move the ball distances he shouldn't be able to in order to steal field goals. Something that Brady and Rodgers, we watched them both do it this season. Through three weeks, we've watched Brady 
Break hearts in Dallas. We watched Rodgers this past Sunday night. I fell asleep on the couch during the first quarter. I woke up in time to watch both the uh, Devontae Adams catches and the game-winning field goal. I'm glued to that television for Sunday night because that's the only game I get to watch in full outside of Thursday night. It's like because of my work schedule, it's like, oh, here, watch the worst game of the week on Thursday night football. And then I come home after working 24 hours in the weekend and I get great Sunday night football games so far. So I wake up in time to see this drive and I think to myself, that looks a lot. uh, I've seen that. I, I get to watch a similar drive. Where our quarterback just said, guess what? Now I'm getting them points. I'm getting them. Yeah, you gave me less than, you gave me less than what, a minute? Doesn't matter. I'm going to go down there, but I'm going to be methodical about how I do it. And like I said, it's like, (laughs) for those of you Marvel stands out there, Thanos, this, this inevitability, it's, it's soul crushing. It really is. To move the ball distances that you shouldn't be able to. Brady's and Rodgers have been doing it for years. And in some cases, it, it vaults you ahead. Like now, when you think of where the Packers were, what you thought about them after week one, now what's your attitude towards them? That's a team that looks like they, they're going to win the NFC North. Who else is going to challenge? Thank you. Uh, Brady... And the Buccaneers, they lose to the Rams. Okay, does anybody question that? Even though, even though the Panthers are three and zero, do you question that Brady and those guys are going to win the division? No, Tampa, no. Tampa Bay is going to win that division. I mean, Panthers started with two of their first three games were against the Jets and the uh, Texans. The worst part is that the drive that he put on in that in that moment. I'm going to suck half the quarter off the clock. I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I'm, I'm just going to take what you give me, and then I'm going to punch it in with a ridiculous throw. The velocity on that pass and the route that Sanders ran, there's not a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL who can make that. Yet here we are. And that's the thing that sucks all of the oxygen out of a defense's lungs. Right? Like, it's just, you, you say to yourself, we did everything right. <laughs> we did everything that we could have done, and this guy just handed us our shit. It's demoralizing both to the defense and the opposing offense because the opposing offense has to watch it and go, well, shit, I can't do that. I can't, I can't do that. How am I supposed to compete with that? If Josh can harness just a little bit more, just a little more consistently, this offense has the horses to be the AFC's most dangerous every single weekend. I don't give a shit what Kansas City's doing. And that brings me to this week's zero of the game. <sighs> We're going to have to get this one over quickly because I hate this fucking guy. Cody Ford. Fucking embarrassing! This guy. All week long, we heard about how good their defensive line was with all the first-round picks and bop, 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 bop. And we came into this game having discussed with Paul Williams of the 50 Gut Podcast about how their defensive tackles, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, Alabama alumni, who I know are studs, were the best defensive linemen so far this season. Everyone else on that offensive line managed to keep their house in order, except the one guy who at this point, I'm starting to wonder if he even has a place in the starting lineup on a week-to-week basis. Cody Ford is awful. I mean, I'm happy we were at the game because in real time, I saw flashes of his struggles, but I didn't get the magnitude of it. But on the rewatch, holy shit. It was 10 p.m. on a Monday night, and I'm watching this replay, and I'm I'm looking at the numbers... And it made me want to go grab a stiff drink after just the first handful of plays. I've never heard of a player who's considered a starter by their team recording a pass blocking grade of less than five. I was dunking this offseason when we were talking about the offensive guard battle preview. I was dunking all over Jamil Douglas because he, he put up a 13.2 rating against the, what was it against Jacksonville one year. Almost got Marcus Mario to kill for the Tennessee Titans. Ford found a way to make that performance look like it's acceptable. 
That's how bad this is. I mean, thank God that Allen is so good at stepping up and sidestepping and maneuvering in the pocket and eluding pressure that's right in his face and that we operate so much out of the shotgun or we would have been in a lot of trouble on Sunday because four, these guys were running past him like he wasn't there. Chris, you could have done the same job Cody Ford did. I'll give it a shot. And when you look at the season he's had thus far, there's nothing you can say that makes it seem like he offers a redeemable quality. He's currently ranked 286th in pass blocking grade for offensive linemen who have more than three games, or three at least three games. That's 57 whole starting offensive lines worth of guys who are doing better in pass protection than Cody Ford. He at this point he's playing a level of football. I mean, he's tied for second in the NFL and hurries allowed with 13. And half of those happened this past Sunday. When we go up against quality opponents, he can't be trusted to be on the football field. That doesn't sound like an NFL caliber player, does it? No. The team needs to take a long, hard look at this ahead of this matchup with Kansas City. When you look at the money that they've spent in their defensive line and decide if that sort of performance against a highly paid line that's underperforming but looking for a breakout game is something they can stomach. Chris, what do you think? Is it maybe time to start giving Ike Bakker some looks here? Because I'm or Spencer Brown. I don't care who. Spencer Brown had a couple of good reps in the fourth quarter. He did. And I think if we can get to a, 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 a sizable lead on Sunday, we'll be able to see him in against Houston as well. But like I go back to like preseason when we kind of went over the roster and, and all the offensive linemen that we drafted, and we pulled up Cody Ford's RAS score, relative athletic score, and it was poor. And so you get one or two seasons of that, and Bean's like, oh, God, this is this is not good. Bring me the opposite of this. And then you compare that to the RAS scores of Spencer Brown and the other uh, linemen we drafted this year. And Can you name them? S- no. Tommy Doyle, Jack Anderson. See? Jack Anderson's already gone. Oh, he yeah. went over to Philadelphia. But they're, more, but they're more athletic than Cody Ford. So I think over the – you know, the two seasons that Bean got to look at Cody Ford, he's like, all right, well, I'm going to need to get some athletic linemen in here. And that's what we have with Spencer Brown and the other guy that you mentioned that I can't think of. But, you know, Kansas City game, maybe you should start. You need to have your shit figured out by the time we go into that game. Yeah, or play Spencer Brown. Well, and so maybe this game against a struggling Houston defensive line, which we're going to talk about in this week's preview show, which if you don't tune into, you're missing out, is exactly the place to let an Eichbacher or a Spencer Brown start getting their feet wet with significant reps in hopes of maybe being able to hit the ground running the following week against a team that you're hoping to really get one up on. Either way, this guy is a mess. And he's quickly in danger of becoming a player who doesn't have a home on this football team. <sighs> well, you could cut him. <laughs> you exactly know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. I don't want this. Uh, <laughs> fucking Jay Skarsky. <laughs> what a... What? If, it, if it came true, I'd drive to his house and apologize to him. But then I'd also be like, but also you kind of suck because you, you half-assed this one and fell back in, backwards into it like Kramer on Seinfeld, how he just falls backwards into money. Yeah. That's Jay Skursky with sports takes. Yeah. No, that, that's what's happening. Um, Chris, your final thoughts on the game? I mean, hell of a win. I mean, they're one of the top teams in the NFC East, which isn't saying much. <laughs> but- then, well, did you just... You said the thing like you just crowned King Turd on Shit Mountain. Like you're the best. You're you're one of the better teams in the worst annually the worst division in football. Yeah, you're one of the better turds in the NFC East. A little bit of brown, a little bit of green. The one that takes a hard flush. Yeah, you're like maybe I gotta get the plunger. I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that that's watch. I mean, it's, this is why people hate us. Yeah. I mean it's. <laughs> For me to get any real sense of, of what the Bills are, you know, 
I'm going to need them to see against some competition. Like Washington, okay, yeah, we blew them out. They're not that great, only in their division. Next week we got Houston, also not very great. Going to have to wait till that Kansas City game to uh, see where we are as a team, if we can hang with, with the big boys. For me, in losing, in losing on Sunday, Washington becomes the second straight team that was starting to hear talk about how good they were only to be fed feet first into the football wood chipper that is the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> we massacred Miami. We beat the piss out of Washington. <laughs> we take average to bad football teams and embarrass you on TV is what we do. That's our thing now. And while last week it was the defense letting everybody know, hey, we're out here, we're taking names. It was our franchise quarterback's turn this week to announce that he's no longer fucking around. Hey, guess what, guys? That was fun. That was cool. Guess what? I figured it out. And now you're... It was like that moment in Billy Madison when that kid throws... When the O'Doyle kid throws the ball at him and he catches it. He's just like, oh, you're all in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. That's everybody now. That's the way I see it. Josh Allen has found a way to be a slightly better version of what he was. And in that way... Who who's stopping that? Chris, who? Who has an answer for that? Cleveland's defense? Ah. The the one that was almost gonna lose to Houston? Yeah. <laughs> and then the one that also sacked Justin Fields nine times. Well and Chicago had one net passing yard. I mean, it's Chicago. <laughs> that thing I mean, you could have blown that thing up week one and I would have I would have understood it. I don't know how Matt Nagy still has a job. I saw I saw a tweet. It was 10 a.m. Matt Nagy has a standing appointment. I have a press conference every Monday at 10 a.m. It was 11.48, and there was some beat writer tweeted out, we're still here in the building waiting for the press conference to start. It hasn't. And I was like, please tell me they fired this jerk off. I mean, Chris, and then he has the balls. Knowing that he's that clo- his balls are that close to the bandsaw. To come out and say, all three of my quarterbacks might start next week. They're all starting material. You sound like a lunatic when you say things like that, right? Yeah. Or at least a guy who's not qualified for his job. So, in that way, I don't, I don't, I give, again, it's like beating Jacksonville. What are you doing here? I don't count that. Obviously, the win is important for the Buffalo Bills. We're 2-1. and one. We finally got back above 500. But it's that dynamic that Josh Allen is no longer fucking around that I think might be the most important thing to come out of this. You went into a game that on paper you were going to have some tough matchups against. We talked about that. And yet you beat them so badly that in the words of Muhammad Ali, they needed a shoehorn to put their head on. With this win, McDermott goes 8-1 against quarterbacks with less than a single season of starting experience in the NFL. And when you look at the makeup of the team we just beat, they're not slouches. Not to the degree some of these other teams we're about to go up against are. Their warts aren't that big. From the offensive line to the skill positions to the pass defense and the rushing attack. And when you look at the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Houston Texans, these are all teams on our schedule. And they have much bigger problems than Washington has right now. We have that 8-1 record for a number of reasons, but the biggest thing for me might be this. The Bills have an experience-based synergy that you can't replicate with a bunch of free, fancy free agent signings or trades. Okay, They have a staff that's worked together for years. They have players who have played together for years, specifically the quarterback and his skill position players. A quarterback who we've watched grow up in front of us and grow into an upper echelon quarterback with this same group of linemen and skill players. It's weird, right? Because we're Buffalo. We're Buffalo. We don't get good quarterback play. How weird is it for you thinking about the fact that we might have the next elite quarterback? I know we have the next elite quarterback. We're going to be in that 10-plus win range for the next... 15 years as long as there's no significant injury to Josh that's, Allen. That's a bold statement. To me, it still feels weird. It's weird to think that Buffalo, for once, has the better coaching staff more Sundays than not, who always seem to have an answer 
for whatever problems our opponents pose. It's weird to think that we're a team that for once has the quarterback capable of reinventing his approach to the game on a whim. If that's what he thinks it takes to win. It's weird thinking that the Buffalo Bills are flirting with being maybe the class of the AFC. But after all these years of podcast together, you and I, I mean, you all, you've been listening to us for five years. <laughs> you know that I like weird. You know that. You know that I'm a little off. And in that way, I'm looking forward to seeing just how weird this 2021 season can get. I can't wait to see what this weekend offers up. Make sure you tune in tomorrow night for our Houston Texans preview show. Chris, I feel like this is the first guestless preview we've done in a long time. Yeah, it is. I can't wait to I can't wait for it, but guys, make sure you check it out. But for tonight, we gotta get the hell out of here. Thank you for giving us an hour of your time. I'm Drew Gear, that's Chris Kruger. And this has been your Rock Power Report.